Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and you are listening to Keeping the Faith. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. Keeping the Faith is brought to you without ads or commercial interruption of any kind, except for this one invitation. I have friends who are inspired by what they hear from Keeping the Faith, and those friends support my work. But you can support this podcast as well by buying me a coffee. Buy Me a Coffee is a tiny little link where you can throw a few bucks into my tip jar and keep me busy behind the counter serving up the best episodes I have to offer. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash McBrayer, and you can easily and securely donate to the cause. You can also go to my website, ronniemcbrayer.org, and click on Podcast. You will find several ways to lend a hand, and you can also choose your favorite listening platform, be it Apple, Podbean, or Spotify, so that you will never miss a single life-changing, day-making, death-defying episode. Thank you for being a regular listener. show you a picture here. This is a picture of the Nile River in Egypt. It's a satellite picture, as you can tell, and everywhere there is a light is along the banks of that great river. While sometimes disputed, the Nile is the longest river in the world, giving birth to one of the greatest civilizations in ancient history. Without it, without this river, there would have been no great pyramids, no pharaohs, no story of Moses and the Exodus, no viable means of irrigation or agriculture right up to the present day. And it was a mystery in times of old because this was a strange river that flowed north. It didn't flow south. And it completely stumped those farmers of ancient times because it would flood in the dead heat of summer when there was no rain. And they could not have known and they could not understand at the time that that flooding river was because of tropical rains in the central parts of Africa, 4,120 miles away. But it would finally make its way to Egypt, giving rise not only to the civilization, but to the gods that grew up out of that Egyptian desert. How far is 4,120 miles? Well, it's an air liner trip from New York City all the way to Rome, Italy. So the Nile River is as long as the Atlantic Ocean is wide and then some. And here's another picture. This is the Amazon River Basin. It is a rival of the Nile when it comes to nautical distance, but it falls short of the longest river by less than 100 miles, but it holds its own record. This, the greatest river of South America, has the largest drainage system in the world in terms of volume. And the area of that basin that you see on that map there makes it the largest river in the world. 75% of the continental United States would fit inside the Amazon basin. 
The outflow of this river is so strong that when it reaches the ocean, it turns the water of the Atlantic Ocean there fresh for a hundred square miles. Fun fact, 25 years ago, Jeff Bezos named his new web-based bookstore Cadabra, like Abracadabra, because buying books online was going to be like magic. Cadabra. But when he would answer the phone and say, this is Cadabra, it was often heard as cadaver, which is what he has made of every mom and pop business in the world since. He changed the name of his business to Amazon because he wanted to deal, quote, with the most volume in the world, and he has succeeded at that. This, of course, Third River, is the mighty Mississippi as it makes its split just south of New Orleans. Technically, it is the second longest river in North America. The first being the Missouri, but the Missouri, the Ohio, and the Tennessee are often tossed in as tributaries of the Mississippi, and no river in all of American history has as much romance and history and folklore attached to it as the Mississippi River. And why not? It drains all or parts of 32 states in this country, two Canadian provinces, and about 40% of the continental United States. Beginning in Minnesota and ending in one of our most mythical towns, New Orleans. A single drop of water cast into the headwaters of the mighty Mississippi takes six months to reach the Gulf of Mexico. And there are others. The Yangtze, the longest river in Asia, the Congo and Central Africa, the Mekong emptying into the South China Sea, the Volga, the Yukon, all massive watersheds. And of course, there are the storybook rivers that aren't as large but have great significance, the Rubicon, the Snake, the Colorado, the Tigris and Euphrates, the Red, the Yellowstone, the Thames, the Rhine, the Yellow, the Rio Grande. Do you recognize this river? That's exactly right. This little river right here might be the most famous, or at least the most invoked river in Western history, though it's not here in the West. And it's not a significant body of water at all, not physically. It does hold the world record for being the lowest river in the world, but it doesn't even drain into fresh water. It flows for a mere 150 miles so shallow and so narrow in places that you can step across it without even getting your shorts wet. I've done that. In fact, the most dangerous thing about this mighty river Jordan, at least the last time I stood in it, were the algae slick rocks and the tilapia nibbling at my ankles. This is the Jordan River draining the Rift Valley through modern-day Israel and Palestine, feeding the famed Sea of Galilee and ending abruptly at the lowest place on earth, the Dead Sea. And still, it might be the most famous, if not the most invoked river in Western history. And this is because of all the religious and spiritual significance assigned to the Jordan or gained by the Jordan, by this little valley stream. As Christians, our minds go immediately to the baptism of Jesus. He was dipped into these waters by that wild-eyed prophet, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And we have been following him ever since. Some are even fortunate enough not simply to do as Jesus did and be baptized, but to actually be baptized there on site in the Jordan River. And then our minds go to the symbolic meaning 
of crossing the Jordan River. This was the last barrier, this little body of water, before the children of Israel crossed over into the promised land. So to cross the river Jordan has become this idea of crossing over to get home, of crossing over to heaven. The Jordan serving as this symbolic means of death. I'm only going over Jordan, the spirituals say. I'm only going over home. And so for thousands of years we have this imagery of the Jordan as the final passage. Symbolic of the last challenge. And after one crosses over, and it may chill the body but not the soul, then you wake up in the country that belongs to God. And this is why this is the most famous river in Western history. And if we began to count and sing, it was all river songs today for sure, but if we were begin to sing all the songs, tell all the stories, read all the poetry, all the spirituals about the River Jordan, we would be here for weeks and weeks unending. Those songs and tales just stack up for eons. And there is the story we have before us today. It only adds to the symbolism and the metaphors. The Jordan as the beginning of Christian baptism, yes. The Jordan as the final place of crossing over where we enter our own promised land, yes. And here, the Jordan River as a source of healing and cleansing power. Like baptism in some ways, it is a chance to begin again. Like crossing over in some ways, death leads to life. But it is unique in its own regard. Here is the river of God bringing restoration. It is God's purifying water washing away all that contaminates and harms and hurts. I know I say things like, uh, this is one of my favorite Bible stories. I say that all the time about stories in the Bible. I say it a lot and it's hard to keep track, but listen, this really is one of my favorite Bible stories. Naaman, Elisha, and myself, we go back a long way. Uh, I think I've got a picture of this little blue book. It's actually not a little book. It's called Bible Stories That Live. It's an encyclopedia size. And if you open up that cover and look at the dedication page, it says, To Ronnie and Connie, my twin sister, on your sixth birthday, love mom and dad. And... Uh, I don't know if my sister's been looking for this book, but I've had it for 50 years, almost. And so it has a revered place on my shelf in my, in my office. In fact, uh, it sits right beside my bound doctoral dissertation uh, as one of the most important books in my life. Because it, it's the Bible adapted to the ears of a child and page 158, or excuse me, 185 in this book, is the story of Naaman dipping himself in the Jordan. So, at least since six years of age, I've been reading this story. And it has never left me. And the thing about this story, it's one of those unique stories, and I did not clue in uh, Anna in any way, it is one of those unique stories that grows with us over time. When you're a child, you hear it one way because it's told to you a certain way. 
But stories change on who is telling them and on whose perspective is being told from. So if you go back, when I was a child, it was sort of a simple bedtime story. A man has leprosy. It's this ugly disease of the nerve endings of the skin. It caused initially blotchiness and this bleached white scorched epidermis that looks like eczema on overdrive. And it doesn't just itch. It devours. It eats away at the skin. Digits, noses, chins fall off. Sometimes entire limbs would fall off. Gangrene would take over. A long, painful death. And we don't know if Naaman has it this bad. But Naaman certainly takes drastic measures to find a cure. He doesn't simply go down to the river to pray, take a sevenfold backstroke and go home with skin like a newborn baby. It's far more complicated than that. Let me point out just a couple complications. In this story, there is a slave girl. Naaman captured her in one of his wars against Israel. See, he is the enemy. And it is the enemy that comes calling for healing and for help. And this little girl, a servant girl, she's most likely a sex slave. She has been trafficked, to use our language today. And yet, she still finds the integrity, somehow, to tell the man who stole her from her home, I wish you would go down to Samaria, northern Israel, and see the prophet. He would heal you. We didn't read all those verses, but that's what's going on. And I sort of missed that when I was six years old, hearing this story for the first time. Later, two kings exchange diplomatic letters, and it feels like a trap being set. Is it a ploy to break the very uneasy peace between these two countries? That's the conclusion of the Jewish monarch. And then this holy man, Elisha, intervenes, tells everybody to calm down, send Naaman to me. And Naaman doesn't show up as a humble, gentle soul. He arrives in full caravan, soldiers, supplies, donkeys, camels, chariots, swords. He's dressed for battle. He's dressed to intimidate. I'm here and you better fix my problem, pal. Or I'll burn this town down like I did the last time I was here. That's the message being sent. He has come to intimidate He has come to prove something, how important that He is. That's the not-so-subtle message. Verses 9 and following, I'll read these again. Naaman went with his horses and chariots, there they are, waited at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger out to him. Elisha doesn't come out. Sends a messenger, gives it the Ricky Stanfield benediction. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. And Naaman is really angry about this. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy, you know, incantations and all this stuff. Why should I wash in their dirty river to be healed? I mean, he is really, really ticked off. Do you know who I am? That's what he wants to say. Do you know who you're dealing with here? And Elisha doesn't seem to be bothered. He won't even come outside. Won't even stop binge watching whatever he's watching on Netflix to be interrupted by this guy. 
I read a little story. I think it's a children's book too. It's been adapted to a children's book about, about the flea and the elephant. And the flea moves in uh, to live on this elephant. And he goes and he whispers in the elephant's ear and he says, Look here, pal. My family and I were moving in. And uh, we're just giving you that courtesy. Uh, we're very important people where we come from. And this ear of yours is far filthier than we thought it would be. And our, my wife's really working hard to make this a proper home. And if you could lift, you know, that hose of a nose or whatever you've got to clean things up around here, we would appreciate it. Well, nothing happens. Flea comes back a week later and says, what's your problem, man? We've been here, we're working, we're trying to make a go of it. You just continue to ignore me. And I'm telling you what, if you don't answer me in 72 hours, we're out of here. <laughs> 72 hours pass. He goes back to the elephant and he says, that's it, you blew it. You had a chance for this great settlement. We're out of here, we're gone. I heard Anthony DeMello tell that story and at the end of it he says this, did you know that the universe really isn't even aware of your existence? Calm down. Right? The elephant has no idea that anything's even living on his back. It's so tiny, so minuscule. That's Elisha's play here. Oh, big man out in the front yard. Ignore him. He wants you to come out and talk to him. Eh, send him down to the river. He needs a bath. That's what's going on, and it's enraging. And I think what we see here, when Naaman's saying, I thought, I expected, all that stuff. He had these preconceptions that he would be the center of attention. That he, the great commanding general and fearless warrior that he was, would be shown a bit more respect. That he would be granted the honor due to a man of his place and his prestige. Naaman's true sickness is his ego. That's a complicated word. We use it so many ways, but at its base level, ego is Latin for I. The I, me, myself. And we all have an ego because we all have a relationship with ourselves. Ego in and of itself isn't good or bad, it just is. When we begin to talk about the ego as a problem, we are talking about self-obsession, self-assertion, self-protection. We are talking about our inner person making a lot of noise. Our inner I gets up on stage to be seen, to be praised, to be regarded as special. We become our own loudest cheerleader, shining the spotlight on ourselves, subtly, overtly, because we just can't afford to look bad in front of others. Now, I say those things and you're like, that's right. I know a bunch of people just like that. You tell them. Well, here's how you can know that your ego is getting noisy. It has a lot to do with your emotions. You know you're in trouble with your own ego when you go to your inside kitchen and start banging pots and pans. When you get angry because you feel unseen or your work has gone unacknowledged. 
When you get frustrated because you need to make things right and the world just will not cooperate with you. Or you just simply want to make things the way you want them to be. When you feel jealous because suddenly your uniqueness and your specialness is threatened in some way. Resentment because of the lack of appreciation or recognition for all that you do. That is the ego getting loose. And we all have that problem. Not just some raging narcissist. We all have this struggle. And here's the thing. Others will see it in you before you see it in yourself. Elisha knew Naaman's problem. That's why he chills him out in the front, in the front yard. And then, I love this passage, Naaman's junior officers recognize it in him too, don't they? And they say, well, you know, sir, and the Hebrew word is dad. Oh, they're so careful. Uh, you know, Pop, uh, it's not a really a hard thing that he's asking you to do. Can't you see them and they kind of recoil back? And it wasn't a hard thing. It was a simple thing. It was an easy thing. But it was a humbling thing for this conquering general to go descend into the muddy waters of the very country that he kicked their butt every time they went to war. And if it had been hard, all it would have done would be to make Naaman's ego bigger, stronger, louder, and prouder. Because if it had been hard, he would have went out and done it. And then he would have essentially said, see what I did to heal myself. And Elisha is not going to have any of that. What is washed away in the muddy Jordan is not a skin disease. The oldest rabbis, when they teach this passage, they don't even talk about the skin disease. They talk about the disease of his soul and his pride. His ego is what is held under that water until it gurgles. It's his ego that needed the washing. Sink down seven times. Put that inner spotlight out. Quench that burning fire within. Tell that screaming cheerleader for yourself to quiet down. And place yourself, all that you are, in the hands of the living God where there is no room for competition and no room on the stage for other performers. Let that surrender and release carry away the pollutants that are taking from you your very life. One more river today. This is the Ganges in India. It is India's longest river and it is India's most used, and as you see, most polluted body of water. 400 million people rely upon this river for drinking, for irrigation, and a great majority of that number use it for bathing and sanitation. And yet, even as you look at this picture, there have never been a waterborne epidemic in India traced to the Ganges River. And more amazing still, animal life thrives in this river despite the fact that it is one of the most polluted water systems in the world. 
It has been this way for ages. It's why Hindus consider the Ganges sacred and why it has been referred to as, quote, the only self-purifying river we know of on the planet. And science has finally caught up with the sacred, answering the question of how this is possible. And the answer is this next slide. Hundreds of miles away, way up tens of thousands of feet high in the Himalayan mountains. It it is these melting glaciers that form the headwaters of the Ganges River. These glaciers are so old and so pure that when they melt, the water that melts from these glaciers has 25% more oxygen in it than any other river in the world. And locked inside of these glaciers as they begin to melt is a bacteria that acts like nature's perfect disinfectant. So you have this oxy-induced water flowing down out of the mountains and reaching down to the shallows and to the lower areas. And people come to this water as they have for years and years and years And it takes on the very worst filth that humanity seems to be able to throw at it and washes it all away. That's a river of life. That's the river of God. I'm on my way to the River Jordan. Going to wade right into those Russian waters. I'm going down to the River Jordan and let that cool water Cleanse my soul. We will be back on the banks of the Jordan next week. And I hope you will join me then. You have been listening to Keeping the Faith, the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at ronniemcbrayer.org and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. Thanks to Shutterstock Incorporated, located in New York City's Empire State Building, no less, for producing and licensing my theme music. Bobby Rains provides recording and technical expertise. Tim Riles created the Keeping the Faith logo and artwork. And Land Sunshine on My Shoulder Pro is credited with any and all photography. And as always... Toby and Mo, the two small wonder dogs that run my home, assisted with all editing. I'm Ronnie McBrayer. This has been Keeping the Faith, and I thank you for listening.